Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about meetings. Given the large amount of time we spend in meetings, we should not only be looking to make every meeting as productive as possible, but to also have meetings only when they're necessary. Today, my guest is Katerina Costula. Katerina is a professional coach, consultant, and author who, after rising to the executive level in corporate organizations like Google, started her own company called The Leader Path and has dedicated her life to helping leaders and their organizations be more productive and build trust through conducting better meetings. Welcome, Katerina. Thank you for taking time to be with me today. Thank you, Mike, for having me. It's my pleasure. Meetings are necessary for us to collaborate with others and get things done. And many meetings are good, but far too often I hear people say they hate meetings. Admittedly, I felt that way at many times in my career as well. Why do you think there's such disdain for meetings? Oh, I used to have this disdain when I was in a corporate life, Mike. I think that's the reason I wrote the book in the first place. And I still do, by the way. I get inundated by requests for meetings, and I'm very strict about which meetings I will accept in my calendar or not. So first of all, when I researched my audience, most of the people would experience too many meetings, ineffective meetings, miserable meetings. By miserable, I mean either you're feeling bored or frustrated or stressed. So we estimate around half a trillion dollars is wasted in the US and the UK alone in badly organized meetings. The big piece of it is that many of us attend badly organized meetings because nobody told us. I don't know if you were told how to hold successful meetings. I definitely wasn't throughout my career. I had to figure it out on my own. But also the people that organize the meetings, the leaders, are not aware of how bad the meetings are because they rate their meetings higher than their participants do because they talk more. So if you talk more in a meeting, you're more likely to rate it as more interesting. And usually the leader is the person that talks more. So the people that set up all these meetings are having more fun than the rest of the people do. We've covered a little bit about how meetings can negatively impact an organization. What can you tell us about the potential positive impact of meetings? The first positive impact is inspiring action. If you want to inspire action, if you want to change behavior, you're most likely to do that if you meet people face-to-face or virtual. That's why we have salespeople. That's why politicians tour the country before elections, because there's something around the synchronous communication, being with someone else live and exchanging in real time that inspires change of behavior. That I would say number one. The second, I would say you build connections easier than just using the written world, for example. Third, I would say you avoid confusion and misunderstandings because you can do this back and forth. So if you want to communicate something, if you have conflict, for example, if you have a misunderstanding, if there's something you cannot afford confusion, meetings are your best tool to avoid all misunderstandings and confusion. And the fourth one I would say is to build a vibrant, healthy culture. Depending on the culture you want to bring in the organization, the lever you have are your meetings. Do you want a culture of fun or safety or honesty? How do you do that? You focus on your meetings. So if I'm looking to call a meeting and want it to be as effective as possible, where should I focus and what are some common mistakes I should avoid? The most common mistakes most of us make when it comes to meeting is we are not clear about the desired outcome of the meeting. You must have experienced this. We have regular meetings. We don't even know why we're there. What's the point? We waste all this time back and forth sharing information. 
I developed the 4D meeting framework to help leaders understand what these desired outcomes could be. To solve any problem, there are four stages, and all of them conveniently start with a D. So you need to define the problem or a goal. You need to develop ideas. You need to decide the way forward, which one of the ideas you're going to pursue. And finally, you need to do what you decided. So it's define, develop, decide, and do. And a great tip I would have for our listeners is to go to your calendar and look at your meetings. Which one of the four Ds is your meeting willing to pursue, to achieve? You may have more than one Ds in your meeting. If you do, do it in distinct sanctions. Especially, it's important to separate the develop idea section from the decide section. It is divergent thinking and convergent thinking. You need to separate those because if you try to do it at the same time, you will kill innovation, you will kill creativity. It's not going to work. And even the decide and the do, in the decide stage, you want to encourage productive conflict because you want to make good decisions, right? But when you're in the do stage, when you're implementing, when you're thinking about a plan, when you want to inspire people to have action, you want to bring people together. You're looking for alignment. So separating those steps in the process will help you have more effective meetings. I can really appreciate the four Ds and determining which D you want to accomplish in your meeting. And I think it's a great call out to separate the develop part of your process with decide. Uh, So maybe have two meetings for that. Most leaders think they should always facilitate the meeting because they're the ones assembling the group. And sometimes they want to also have that feeling of control. What thoughts do you have on the different roles within a meeting and who should be assuming those roles? From my experience, many times the leader is not the best person to facilitate the meeting because they're too invested in in the content a lot of the times. Also, I'm a team coach. People bring me in to facilitate those meetings that are a little bit more difficult and they like having an external observer. That's all the feedback I get. It's great great to have a neutral facilitator. So when there's conflict, when there's a lot of emotions, I would say bring an external facilitator. That's when you want them in. When the leader is too invested in the content, maybe you ask someone else from the team to facilitate. And also that the role of the facilitator has different parts that you can delegate to different people. You can have someone monitoring the team agreement, for example, if you have a team agreement in place that says, let's say we are honest and we uh, participate or we debate issues and not personal, let's say you have a team agreement like that, you can have someone monitor if the team is actually compliant with the team agreement. You can have someone else writing on the flip chart or taking notes Uh, and, and different parts of this facilitator role, you can delegate to different people. I'm a big proponent of team agreement and having at least some sort of charter or rules about how you're going to act as a team. So I'm glad you brought that up. In addition to assigning different roles, as your meeting is taking place, what tips can you share with our listeners about getting that meeting started and then keeping everyone engaged during it? I'm very passionate about starting the meetings properly with impact. And the person who demonstrated the power of a proper introduction in meetings is Robert Cialdini, who created an experiment with MBAs. And he asked the first group of MBAs to negotiate it. He divided them in couples to negotiate a deal. But he, the briefing was, time is money, get right to, right to business, negotiate. And the second group, the briefing was, spend some time in the beginning connecting with each other, find something you have in common, and then negotiate. And I'm sure you can guess which group performed better. The group 
that went right to business, didn't have a proper introduction, 55% of them reached the deal. While in the second group, when they found something in common, 90% of them reached the deal and the value of the deal was 18% higher. What does this mean for us in our day-to-day meetings that we will be tempted to start talking on the agenda right away, but actually spending time in the beginning, connecting with each other and doing a proper introduction will pay off later tenfold. I have four steps for starting the meetings with impact and they are aligned to questions the participants have in their minds. The first question is, why am I here and why should I care? First step is center the participants around the purpose. A lot of leaders don't even say, why we're here. Say our intention or our purpose for being here today is to define the problem or what you can use the four Ds for that. And we will walk away with a list of ideas or we walk away with a decision on this. The second question is, am I a valued member of this group? Do I belong here? And it can be a subconscious question. A lot of us don't have it consciously, but it's something in our mind when we join a meeting, when we join a group. And that's why I like spending, even if it's three minutes, getting everyone's voice in the room in the first three minutes of any meeting. You can ask a question and people can respond in the chat room. Or if it's a small team, you can go around Robin and say, share something personal, like what was the highlight of the week or the low light? The third question is, how are we going to do this? And that's when you do the contracting, as as coaches say, whether it's the meeting agreement or even this is the agenda and we're going to use the chat room like this or you're allowed to look at your phone or any rules you want. How are we going to do this? Set this up. If you don't want people to interrupt, say so in the beginning. If you don't want people on their phones, if it's an in-person meeting, say so in the beginning. And the fourth question is, what do I need to know before we get started? And we see more and more tech organizations now consuming information in the beginning of the meeting. That means Amazon will have the five-page memo. Everybody silently reads the memo of the issue at hand before they start discussing. Or Twitter, everybody goes in a Google document and they comment in the beginning of the meeting. They don't speak. And there's something around giving the chance to people to consume the information in the meeting together in silence, in their own rhythm, because you make sure, A, they get the information, but they get it in their own rhythm. It's not a presentation that you dictate the rhythm. So again, I like models that start with the same letter. To start a meeting, the the steps are center around the purpose, connect, contract, and consume any content. You don't have to follow all four steps, but this is an easy checklist to go through your mind. How should I start my meeting? Which one of these steps is the most important? There's a lot of valuable stuff in there. I really like how you emphasize taking time at the beginning to introduce each other and to connect. Uh, It's become more and more important during the pandemic, which actually leads me to the next question. For almost a year and a half, we've been forced to meet pretty much virtually. And now that it looks like we'll hopefully be able to be scheduling more in-person meetings here coming up very soon, what are your thoughts on the considerations a leader should make when deciding whether or not to meet virtually or in-person? The research says that virtual meetings, provided you have good facilitation, provided you have good technology, can be equally effective as the in-person meetings. 
that said, I'll, I'll share a story. And I'm, I was a big fan of virtual meetings. And I, there's a whole chapter on my book of how to facilitate them. And a lot of the teams I was coaching when we moved to online, they, they actually loved it more because we were using all these whiteboarding tools and breakouts were easier. And I loved the, how the technology made the connection and the participation easier. I think actually it is easier to participate in an online world because you have a lot of, I could launch a poll. I write, people could write in the chat room and it could be quicker. Or we all were doing a, a mirror board or a mural, like all these whiteboarding tools. I was coaching a team last week though. And there was high emotions, high conflict. And I was trying to reach consensus and I was talking with one person and then someone else interrupted and he was emotionally flooded. And I was, as I was reflecting on what happened after the session, two people were getting increasingly frustrated and I missed it, Mike. And I missed it because I was not in the same room. If I were in the same room, you can see if people are getting frustrated. I would have seen their legs moving nervously. I would have listened to their breathing changing. But in this virtual environment, I totally missed it. I was working on a consensus. I thought it was going well. And two out of the eight people were going emotional. It was, we had to do a break because people were overwhelmed by emotion. And that would be my learning that when there is conflict, when there is a new team. And actually, that's backed by research too. They say remote teams can sometimes have more conflict exactly because of these things. Like you, you may miss the emotional temperature of the room and more misunderstandings can happen. So I would say in most cases, virtual can work equally good, sometimes even better for ideation, for participation, for getting global teams together. If there's something emotional to work through, in-person works better. As a person with introverted tendencies, I like the virtual environment itself for ideation and things that you were talking about. It gives me a chance to process and share my thoughts. At several points in my career, I found working in what I would describe as a heavy meeting culture. Thinking back, my calendar could easily have had 30 hours of meetings scheduled each week, which makes it really difficult to accomplish things in a timely manner. And then it throws off your balance between work life and personal life. The ironic thing is they knew there were too many meetings play taking place, but they didn't know how to break that cycle. How can organizations chip away at the amount of meetings they have and evolve the culture for the betterment of the organization? and everybody who works in it. I have a lot of ideas here. Let's start with usually when this happens is because people think that meetings, even though we are tiring, which they are, we know the more meetings we have, the more tired we are in the end of the day. The thing is a necessary cost to pay for a collaborative participatory culture. And that's a myth. We, we see that the meetings in the recent decades have increased. Collaboration has not increased in a similar manner. We, we don't need meetings to collaborate. And a lot of times meetings are within teams. They're not even cross-functional. So I will start with this. Let's revisit this myth that being 30 hours in meetings every week is not the cost we need to pay for a collaborative culture. Another issue is, I'm, I'm trying to diagnose why this is happening, and then I'll, I'll offer some ideas, Mike, if that's okay. Another issue of too many meetings is that they are convenient for the leader. Imagine you have to make an update. It will take you an hour maybe to write a well thought through email, email, but you can have a meeting in 30 minutes and give your update and then you're done. It's very efficient for the leader or the person who wants to communicate. But then if you have eight, eight people or 10 people or 100 people, you have absorbed 100 half hours or even eight half hours 
it's not efficient for the whole organization. And there's some, some psychological needs there for the leader. Sometimes the leader feels like a leader only when they are in, in a meeting. And to that, I say, let's have more quality meetings versus quantity. So let's not have meetings when it's just for convenience. Let's not have meetings for information sharing. Unless it's an emotional update, asynchronous communication will do just fine. When I was at Google, our president, he would send us selfie videos. And I loved them. He would meet his, our largest customer. And then after the meeting, he will just put the phone up and share his thoughts. And I could watch these selfie videos and, and really get into the mind of our president after he met the CEO of ex-client. But I would do it in the time that was convenient for me. Rather than go to a meeting, I, in the end of my day, I could watch this selfie video and, and I would have the same connection and update and communication without the synchronous some strategies that have worked for some of my clients to reduce the amount of meetings is have meeting-free zones for the whole company. For this to work, needs to be for the whole company. It hasn't worked when I advised individual clients to do this because they would say, oh, I'm blocking Wednesday morning and then people go and book meetings. It needs to be a company-wide policy. What Dropbox did, they stopped their meetings for two weeks, all the meetings. It was a in hiatus, and then they had to decide and think, did we miss any of those meetings and bring them back in? So that could be something you could try. And what I also advise senior clients to do is have office hours. Rather than have people booking random meetings that they interrupt their flow, have every Friday, I would say, a couple of hours, book 15-minute slots or 30-minute slots. So people can book it up. They can talk to you. They have access to you. But you also have it concentrated. And it's not free-for-all people getting in your calendar all the time and you won't be able to do any work. In your experience, how long would it take for an organization to move away from a constant meeting culture to one where meetings take place when they need to and only for as long as they need to? I do not think it takes long. As I said, Dropbox did it in two weeks. As long as there's buying from senior leadership because there there was um, another company, Boeing, they created a system that the leaders were receiving feedback on their organizational load. What is the organizational load? The, 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 the work they were assigning other people through meetings and through emails. And they were benchmarking the leaders. Who gives the most organizational load? Who generates extra work for their people? And I thought that was a great idea to, to give people feedback of actually, do I create extra work for my people or, or am I actually contributing value and helping people do their work? So I would say it doesn't have to take long. I've seen some of my clients really solve this. And, and I think the pandemic helped a lot of my clients get better because they wanted to give people flexibility. So they actually said, let's have a flexible work-life and so you, we, they needed a reduced window for meetings so that actually people, maybe someone wants to take the morning off, but they want to work on the evening. If you want to ha- have remote and flexible work, that actually could be an incentive. And I saw some of my clients actually improved their meeting culture because they wanted to offer flexibility to their workers. So they had a slower, smaller window where you could book meetings. I've read some uh, articles recently about, uh, you're talking about meeting-free work zones or time blocked out. So yeah. nobody has meetings or nobody schedules meetings. I'm also seeing companies do full company takes the day off at the same time. So everybody can get away from things instead of you're off for a day and then your email box fills up when you're gone or your meeting calendar fills up while you're gone. 
this goes right in conjunction with some of that stuff that's coming out of the pandemic now. Katarina, thank you for making time to share your expertise and research findings on meetings. If you're interested in more information and tips from Katarina, visit her website, theleaderpath.com, and consider purchasing a copy of her book titled Hold Successful Meetings, which is currently available on Kindle and scheduled to be released in paperback on July 15th. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.